0: Uh, we're kicking off week three of the life of David, and so if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to First Samuel 17. Uh, we're going to be in that all morning today, and as you're turning your Bibles there, uh, I do want to tell you that as of yesterday, Kendra and I uh, are no longer um, yard sale virgins. Uh, we had our first, uh, that's very weird, I know, uh, just making sure you're awake uh, this morning. That came out way weirder than it was writing it. Um, God, please come back. Okay. Uh, We we had our first yard sale as a married couple. And so if you're here today and you you want to work on your marriage, just have a yard sale. Um, You'll see a lot of things come out uh, just by pricing items. You'll have a lot of communication uh, tests that come into play and it'll strengthen your marriage in Jesus' name. But I do want to tell you that uh, I love a good deal. I'm frugal. I usually don't buy things unless they're gently or lightly used. And, and I love, I'll bargain with people at a grocery store when it's like a set price. There's no adjustments. I will adjust the price. So I get that. I love, I love that. But just please hear me. I have to confess in front of a great cloud of witnesses. If you are waking up at 5.30 in the morning and uh, you're trying to get something that is priced at 50 cents for 25 cents, just don't show up. Like I was looking at people, they're like bargaining, like bartering with me. It's like, it's a, it's two dimes in a nickel, like just buy the, buy the thing. And so I, I have to confess something to you today that this lady walks up, this older woman, and we had a bunch of books for sale that were quarter and she grabbed two of them. There was a lot of people around the tables and, uh, my son was greeting everybody and he was saying, are you a customer? And uh, I kept telling them, son, stop saying that. People don't talk at yard sales. They walk around like zombies. Like, you don't make eye contact with them. Just exchange the money and let them be on their way, right? And so uh, this lady walks up and grabs two books and just walks away. And if you're here today, feel the conviction of the Lord, all right? And she grabs these books, and she just like, she's walking down the sidewalk like this. And then she looks back. We make eye contact. I look at Kendra. I said, this lady just stole those books, And Kendra said, babe, she's going to get her money out of the car. That's the difference between me and Kendra. That's optimism. I'm a realist, all right? I said, we will never see that lady again, ever. And we did not see that lady ever again. And they're Christian books. in the world. And then I walked across the street to Pastor Andrew's house, who was also having a yard sale. I said, this lady just stole two books. He said, I think her husband was over here. This guy tried to steal this bag, except Andrew called him out. (laughs) He had a handful of golf balls in a bag, and Andrew was like, that bag's nice, huh? You know, or something like that. All right, anyways. I'm never doing a yard sale again. I just had to confess that. Back to the Bible. All right. We have been uh, studying, I'm just like, they're Christian books, like what, they're 25 cents? Um, we will give you the books for free, like just ask, alright? Uh, we have been studying the life of David, and if you've got something to write some notes down, I'm going to give you some things to write down today. Uh, the Israelites wanted a king like other nations. They picked a king, and uh, that what they, they didn't realize at the time, even though they knew it in their heart, is they already had a king in his name, is the Lord. He, w- he will fight for them. He is mighty. And uh, they chose the, an earthly king. His name is Saul. And last week, we uh, heard from Pastor Nick from our Fort Smith campus about the anointing of David being chosen out of the pastor. And David is, is a man after God's own heart. In his early years, he is, he is following with humility, and he is humble, and he strives for integrity. He's faithful And he's humble right where he was supposed to be. He was chosen out of the field and he was anointed as king. And the, the question that Nick left you with last week was, if God shows up looking for you today, will you be in the last place that he asked you to be? And I love what Chuck Swindoll says in a book just entitled David. He got really creative with that. Just David. Um, It's a great book. It says, it's in the little things and in the lonely places that we prove ourselves capable of the big things in public spaces. Another way to say it is just because if you can embrace the silence of obscurity, then you can handle the applause of popularity. But if you can't handle obscurity, then popularity and recognition will destroy your soul. David is anointed as king, and, and do you want to know what happens next after this moment? Does he get a crown? Does he, does he sit on a throne? Does he have a big ring on his hand and people uh, just following him at every uh, word that he says? Do you want to know what happened? No, none of that happens, actually. He goes on a journey where his character and his integrity are strengthened and put to the absolute test. David gets anointed as king, and he goes immediately back to tending the sheep of his father. And on top of that, uh, Saul had this evil spirit that was bothering him. And, and I can't really get into all of that today. But uh, he said, pick someone who could play music for me. So David shows up on the scene. He plays the harp for, for Saul, and, and he really takes a liking to David. And the, and the Bible says from this point, David would go back and forth from the sheep pen to the pasture, 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 from the sheep pen. Y'all see what's happening. It's just this redundant thing. He's going back and forth from caring for the sheep and going to the king's palace. And as we open up chapter 17, Saul begins to see what this guy, David, is actually made of. This little boy goes from a heart-playing shepherd boy to a giant slaying fearless leader, humbly carrying the head of his enemy. Uh, this is the story of David and Goliath. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that story before, David and Goliath, okay? Uh, the title of today's message is Lions, Giants, and Bears, oh my. Lions, Giants, and Bears, oh my. There's two groups of people here today. The first group, you've heard this story a million times, and you already know All the little details. You, like, Seth, I know exactly what happened at that place. Like, you already know how the sermon's going to end. The second group, maybe you're being introduced to the story for the first time. Maybe this is the second time, and, and, and you're intrigued about the idea of a giant falling because of a little boy slinging a rock and striking him in the head. So group one, you've been here, you've done that, you've heard the story a million times. Group group two, you're approaching the story with a fresh set of eyes, and my prayer today is that all of us would be like group number two, that you would caution yourself if you hear a story and you're like, I already know the ending of this, just approach it with an open heart and open perspective today. You've probably heard sermons about how to take down the giants in your life, right? You're bigger than your giant. You're small, but you're mighty. Five reasons, five rocks to conquer your biggest fears. Sounds like a good book title. Grab your slingshot and channel your inner David because you can win the battle. I just want to say, if that has been your idea of this story, I'm sorry. And I want to gently redirect you today. Those lessons can definitely be found in the Bible, but that is not how this story ends. And that's not the, the goal or the intention of this story between David and Goliath. Maybe you've been told since you were little to channel your inner David. Maybe your name is David, you know. And, and, and he, you've been told you need to have courage like a king. But the true narrative of this story is that a greater king would come, and in him we place all courage because the battle has already been won by him. And his name's Jesus, by the way. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, that's the whole sermon right there, all right? Just tell him. Spoiler, just ruin the whole thing. Write this down. We have to know this as we approach this text. We are not David in this story. We are not David in this story. We are not the hero of this story. If you want to know who we are most like in this story, and it's not a knock to anyone. This is the truth about all of us because we're sinful humans. The church in 2023 is a lot more like the Israelites that were present. On the battle lines, ready for battle, but we're a little anxious, stressed out, and nervous about how this thing pans out. Misplacing trust in earthly leaders, choosing earthly kings, and hiding as soon as the giant knocks at the door. I read it this way. Sometimes, but not always, the local church will stand around like neutralized soldiers. As the army stood around with weapons that were suited for battle, doing absolutely nothing for 40 days except staring at the enemy and watching him win. In First Samuel 17, we see the Philistines are about to go to war against the Israelites. And the Philistines, their beliefs directly opposed what the Israelites believed. They were pagans. They worshipped false idols. They worshipped false gods. And so here they are in the the Valley of Elah at the beginning of this story. I've got a picture of this valley. Um, I'll throw it up there. It's it's actually a beautiful picture. I just want you to get an idea of on one hillside you've got the Israelites and the other you've got the Philistines. Verse 2, it says Saul and the Israelites began to draw up battle, uh, battle lines. They were creating a plan for battle But I just want to say David was not in those plans. Saul and the Israelites were drawing up a plan on how to fight and defeat the enemy, but the solution to the problem had not even been considered at that point. Would you write this down? Do not go to battle without consulting God first. Some of you are in the fight for your life, and you've done everything but consult God. And I just want to warn you, I've done it for years and it was, a, it was a big mistake. There's something that happens when you consult the Lord first. Be very slow having your own plan and agenda because the one who holds the world in the palm of his hand, can, can, he can solve your problems too. He can, he can give you the battle plan and strategy to win. Verse 3, the, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. It says a champion named Goliath, who was uh, from Gath, he, he came out of the Philistine camp. And if y'all would throw up that picture of Goliath, um, not an actual picture, but this is a little bit of a comparison. This is what you need to know. He was a big dude. Like, you see David and then Shaquille O'Neal. He's a pretty large man. And then what's predi- predicted to be about nine and a half foot tall, you've got Goliath, this giant of a man, covered head to toe in armor, over 100 pounds of armor. He's got a javelin in his hand that's said to be three inches thick and 30 pounds itself. So what does he represent? He represents that there's a big problem at hand, and nobody wanted to face this big issue. I just imagine, you could could take it down, the announcer voice comes on the intercom, and I'm gonna do my best, okay, I've always wanted to be an auctioneer. I now present to you, weighing in at 440 pounds, are y'all with me today? All right, carrying another 200 pounds of armor and weapons out of this world, a very large body, but a very small brain. Y'all ever met somebody like that? (laughs) Failed every class, but still played offensive line in high school, right? (laughs) They they made a way because he was so big. Like, we have Goliath, right? He's built like a Tesla truck. Like, this is a big man. I just imagine, like, the song of Braveheart starts playing, like, that little flute in the background. He's, like, stepping, his hair's flowing in the wind takes off his helmet. He's just standing there. If you're kind of like hood like me, the song that comes to mind is Nuck If You Buck, if you remember that back in the day. Um, Over some of your heads. Okay, it's probably best. Not only is this guy huge, but he has a shield bearer that is in front of him. He is guarded, he is intimidating, and he is ready to fight. Goliath stood in verse 8, and it says, he shouted to the ranks of Israel Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Would you circle that in your Bible? Servants of Saul. This stood out to me this week. I find it interesting he didn't call them servants of God. The enemy calls them servants of Saul. Why did he address them as servants of Saul and not servants of God? Because they were acting more like cowards than courageous men for war. Goliath shouts, choose a man. And I just think the Israelites probably had in the back of their mind, we just did choose a man. I think we just chose incorrectly. Saul's hiding with us. He's not fighting for us. And he says, have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, then we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and I kill him, then you will become our subjects and you will serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. And let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of the Israelites, they were dismayed and they were terrified. Have you ever been terrified before? Have you you ever been approaching a situation and you were like not scared, but you were scared? There is a difference, right? Like you were very nervous about the outcome of this situation. So here we have a group of prideful, disobedient soldiers lined up for battle behind a king that they chose who isn't even willing to fight for them. They're scared, they're fearful. And the guy that they're standing behind, Saul, is, is part of the reason they're in this situation. And the word goes on to tell us that this continued for 40 days. We can't just breeze past this. 40 days, which that number is very significant, by the way. This goes on for 40 days. I just, I have to think through what this actually looked like. It said 40 days morning and evening, Goliath would come out, they would line up for battle, and then he, they would literally just stand there and get insulted by the enemy. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? They would get insulted by the enemy. God gets defied, and they do nothing but hide and cower down. They line up for battle in the evening, and they repeat this process. The enemy taunts them. God gets defied. They do nothing. They hide. They're covered in fear. This repeated for 40 days. And we're about to introduce the hero of the story. But before we do that, would you write this down? They stared at the enemy every day in defeat. They lined up for battle for 40 days, morning and evening, and they stared at the enemy in defeat. Have you ever been there before? I've been here before. Just staring at the problem at hand, wishing that you had the courage and the ability to defeat it. So I I read this, and I'm like, how does this happen, and why does this happen? And I think it can be summarized in this text in one word, and the word is fear. Everybody say fear. 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 So day one happens, they're scared. Day two, day three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Y'all like, awesome, Seth, you can count. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. You just have to know how silly this actually is. Day twenty... Day 25, day 30, 35, 36, 37, and maybe somebody's going to step up and fight this guy. Every single day, they're, they're paralyzed by fear, they freeze, they panic, they forget, they cower down to the enemy, and we see the giant of sin knocking on the door, and we're afraid to answer it, because it's too big, right? I read this quote, fear is provoked. When the threat of danger exposes our inability to protect what we care about the most. Fear knocks at the door, we answer, and we hide. I don't know if you've ever been fearful before, but I have. I've got into some fights where someone was smaller than me, and I got into some fights where they were significantly larger, right? That's one type of fear. But have you ever been up against something and you thought, there's absolutely no way that I could defeat this without God? There's absolutely, there's no way that this pans out in my favor if God doesn't get involved. And so we get get fearful. Anytime that you're face-to-face with something that seems scary and dangerous, in my perspective, we begin to compare that thing to ourselves. But what the Lord wants us to do is compare that thing to Him. Because we have no reason to fear if we have the right perspective. I wrote this down. It's completely normal to feel fear, by the way. So if you're fearful, just know it's okay to feel the fear, but that's not the issue. The issue is that you have submitted to it. Write this down. Do not submit to fear. Do not submit to fear. This dude was out there just trying to scare the Israelites. Send somebody to fight me. He's this big dude. He did the same thing every day. Did you know the enemy has no new tactics? There's nothing new under the sun. Today, some of you need to serve your fear and eviction notice and say, You cannot be here anymore. Because why? God's got something for you. But you can't follow the Lord in obedience if you are submitting your life to fear. Because it takes faith to do what He called you to do. Stop bowing to fear. You don't have to submit to fear. I've said this before, it's so cheesy, but it's so true. Do not fear. It's in the Bible 365 times. Why? So every day of the year that you could know that you're human and it's okay to feel the fear, but do not submit to it. Don't submit to the fear. Because in our own strength, we are not strong. But in our weakness, through the power of Christ that lives in me, we have victory. Goliath in the story represents the giant of sin. The Israelites in the story represent What I would say is the church. It's the people of God, the army of God. And David, oh, this is beautiful. He represents a good shepherd that would come out of Bethlehem, that would become the king of kings, conquering the giant of sin, death, hell, and the grave. That's great news, by the way. So now we understand what this story is about. The the hero enters into the scene. Verse 14, David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. So here we are, David's left out again, right? But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days this Philistine came forward, every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain, take 10 loaves of bread, take 10 cheeses, and go to your brothers, check on them, and bring me back some assurance. And it's interesting, it says early in the morning David left the flock and he carried, in, in the care of a shepherd, and, and he loaded up and he set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, and they shouted a war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. Y'all, David was asked to bring food to the battle lines. Can I just tell you, I was, I was laughing about this, David's resume is really growing. Like, it it really is growing. He goes from shepherd boy to anointed king to worship leader, and now he works for DoorDash and Uber Eats. (laughs) And this dude is just doing what he's told to do. He is humble, and here again, we see that he just models humility. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines, and he asked his brothers, how how are y'all? And as he was talking with them, oh, this is so cool. Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, he stepped out from his lines and he shouted his usual defiance. And and this is the interesting thing. For the first time, David hears it. David hears it. So this is what you need to know. This is the first time that the solution to the problem is now aware of the problem. Say it again. This is the first time that the solution to the problem is now made aware that there is a problem. How many times do we do this? Like we we invite God at the back end of a situation is like, can you please bail me out? When he's like, hey, I have been fighting for you. I have never left your side. I've been next to you. I've been in front of you. I've been behind you. Would you just consult me first? And he's like, he, he knows now that this enemy is taunting the people of God. Sometimes we go days and weeks and months and years without bringing God into the equation. Reminder, God is really good at being God. So what would happen if our knee-jerk reaction was to bring everything to Him instead of bringing it to ourselves and our own strength? I think we'd see some change. Verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. And then Saul rolls up on the scene, and he says, I'll give anyone who kills this giant great wealth. I'll give my daughter, and I'll exempt you from taxes. This all sounds pretty awesome, right? Yeah, it sounds great to me. All right. I just think it's crazy that the Israelites stiff-arm the king of kings, the God who fights for them, and they, they appoint their own king, and this guy won't even fight. He's bribing other people to fight for him. David asks the men standing near him what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace. I love that he's like just these little gentle jabs, right? This disgrace from Israel. He's roasting this dude. Then he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Let me just tell you this. If you're about to get in a fight and somebody doesn't say just your name, but they're like this uncircumcised Philistine, you just went up to here real quick, all right? If you don't know what that means, ask your parents, all right, that he should defy the armies of the living God. (laughs) Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him when Eliab, David's oldest brother, which by the way, was the one that was first not chosen to be the king. Remember that he was, uh, they said, oh, definitely not you. He's still a little frustrated about that. He's still a little sour, a little salty. It says, he burned with anger at David and said to him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave the few sheep in the wilderness? He's like, he's like making fun of David. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, which is actually not true because he's a man after God's own heart. And he says, you came down here only to watch the battle. I wrote this down. Would you stop allowing people who aren't led by God to direct you? Would you, would you, y'all be careful who is in your inner circle? Somebody needs to hear this today. Be careful who has your ear, who you are listening to, the books that you are reading. Do some research on some people before you start studying them. Just because they say they're a Christian, be mindful of people's theology. Be mindful of where someone stands with the Word of God, allowing haters to dampen your fire. This dude's brother starts, starts saying, hey, like, like you're, you're, you're not who you even think you are. He says that your heart is wicked, that you're far from God. I've learned this, that when you truly fear God and you act in faith, but when you only fear man, you act in Ignorance. When you have a true fear and a holy reverence for God, you have faith, but when you do not fear God and you fear man, you act in ignorance. Because when you lose that holy reverence of God in his word, in his Holy Spirit, you start submitting to your own ideas of who he is. Thankfully, David knew who he was and he knew who God was. He wasn't even gonna listen to his older brother. He says, now what have I done to you, said David? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else, and he brought up the the same matter. And the the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Saul's like, i got to hear about this guy. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, this gets crazy. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. Y'all ever heard someone tell you what you can't do, but they don't know anything about what God's already done in your life? He says, you can't do this. You can't fight him. You're only a young boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. I just imagine David kind of gently laughing, and he's like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Do, do. But baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. I I like songs. They just come to mind, you know. I just imagine David's like, dude, you have no idea what has happened in my life. You have no idea what God has been doing in the sheep pen. You have no idea what I have walked through, what I have heard, what I have seen, and you definitely don't know what God's done in my life. So be careful submitting and listening to someone who doesn't even know who the Lord is. Be careful who has your ear. Oh, young people, please hear me today. I'm so glad that we have young people in the room. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example in speech, character, and conduct. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to his word? I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, God. I believe in the next generation. Oh, I believe in the next generation. I'm about to to start running laps around this church. You want to see a city experience revival? Invest in the next generation. You want to see the gospel go into all ends of the earth? Invest in the next generation because they could care less what what their peers think. Oh, this is a rowdy bunch that's getting raised up. And I'll fight, and I'll invest, and I'll sow into the next generation because they are the future and the now of the church. Y'all want to know what I see in the next generation? God showed me this many years ago. I see a generation that craves the presence of God more than anything else. I see a generation that is unashamed of Jesus, willing to stand for the truth of God's word. I see a generation that will lead their friends, their peers, and their family members to Christ. I see a generation that will shake their schools upside down for the name of Jesus. Unashamed, I don't care who's listening or who's watching, I'm going to be obedient to God. That's what I see. And I don't care if y'all think I'm crazy. This is what it says. I see a generation that is no longer defined by their past, but they are defined by what God says about them. I see a generation that refuses to conform to the patterns of this world. I see it. Oh, and I hope to God that I'm a part of a church that sees it too. Because if you're not, this may not be the right place. Because there will be young people that stand on this platform in the years to come, you will see kids preaching the gospel from this stage. You will see kids leading us in worship. You will see hundreds of salvations in the name of Jesus. You will see families restored because a high school student, a junior high student, a middle school student says, Oh, I can make a difference in my city. I'm not too far gone to be used by God. Oh, I pray in Jesus' name that you can see it too. I see fire in this city. I see dorm rooms at the university turning into prayer rooms. I see middle schools, junior highs, and high school students leading their teachers and their coaches to Christ. I see it. I could tell you what else I see, but I think it would freak you out. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued it from the sheep's mouth. Or the sheep from its mouth. It says, when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. Did y'all know it's okay to be scared of animals? Anybody scared? You got, like, a fear of insects or animals? It's okay. Be honest in church. Some of y'all, you see a fly, and you're like, you start praying. Like, I've been around. Some of you, you see a caterpillar. Like, it's dangerous. It's not going to hurt you. Like, but spiders? In Jesus' name, that thing better flee from me. Snakes? Man, I'd hate to be a snake. There's only one thing that the devil came at, a snake. I see a snake. In my opinion, there are no good snakes. I see a snake, and it's a dead snake. Anybody else? Last week we got away, and I saw a sign that said $5 to feed an alligator a hot dog. I was like, sign me up. So this guy hands me this alligator. It's a real alligator. He hands me this alligator and walks away. I posted a video of it. I freak out. This thing starts doing its little, you know, the whole thing is a muscle. And I like, I don't know what to do, so I just threw it. (laughs) It's okay to, to be scared of some animals. David wasn't scared. He goes on to say, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised, here we go again, Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will now rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I want to remind you, David was not reminding others of what he had done. He was reminding himself of what God had done for him. It's very important you know that. He wasn't boasting in his own ability. He was boasting in the Lord. He knows that in my strength, I can do nothing. But in my weakness, I can do anything because of Christ who lives in me. And he's reminding himself, this is what God has done. I want to I encourage you when you have a moment of fear to remind yourself what God's done. Oh, there's power in sharing your testimony. Did you know that? Revelation actually says that you overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb. That is Jesus and the word of your testimony. David is not boasting in himself, he's boasting in the Lord. And David says, hey, let me me take a second and tell you about my God. He goes on, it says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and coat of armor, put bronze helmet on his head and fastened his sword to him. And David says, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to carrying them. He, He took them off. David doesn't need Saul's armor and Saul's weapons because he's got the armor of God. And he's got the weapon of God. And that's just the name of the Lord, by the way. It says, verse 40, he, he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in his pouch, his little shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Oh, it's about to get good. It's so amazing to me. That the very thing that God taught David in the privacy and silence of a smelly sheep pen, he's now executing in public in the presence of the king and the very people he would lead as their king. And I and I say that because some of you are pressure cooking, microwave and crock pot and all this Insta pot. You're you're trying to do that to your purpose in a season of preparation. I want to encourage you: do not waste a season of preparation. Do not waste a season of preparation because the lessons you learn in this season will be the very test you take in the next. He's like, I've been here, I've done this, and it's about to happen again. Goliath then insults David and tells him that he's going to give his flesh to the birds. David said, if you read the Bible and you don't get excited, you are reading something wrong. This is crazy to me. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and a javelin. you got three weapons, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who, by the way, you have defied. I want to remind you, David called him an uncircumcised Philistine. Goliath was not part of the people of God that God promised to protect. God told, he said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. So David knows that. And so he knows that Goliath is a Philistine, which means he worships false gods and false idols and lowercase g, by the way. So when when Goliath prays to his little gods, if he's a man of prayer, I don't know, there's no God to hear him. Are y'all tracking with me? When David prays to his God, capital G, oh, let me tell you, God hears. And he's with him. He's tall and he's strong. He's got lots of weapons. But David knows. He has the greatest weapon of all. I say everything I've said for the last 36 minutes to tell you this. The battle is already won. Some of you have been trying to fight a fight pull up yourself by your bootstraps and you think you can earn salvation if you do good and you do enough or if you pray enough or read your Bible enough. All those things are great, but you cannot earn the gift of God, which is salvation. It is given and it is received and it is the best gift that you could ever receive. And I pray on this Father's Day that some people would see that that you would see this through a fresh lens, that the battle's been won for you and for me because of what Christ has done for us. If you would just stay in this moment of worship, if you would stand to your feet across the room, I'm gonna read the rest of this story. I want you to stand so you can feel it in your feet. It says in verse 46: This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. This is wild. The very day, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I pray that stuff would happen in this building and in this city. And it would shout to the world that there is a God that loves them, that wants to use them. Come on, y'all. Do y'all believe that, church? I believe God's doing something. I just want us to be a part of it. And the whole world will know that there is a God. It says, all those gathered here will know that, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, all of you into his hands. And As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He reached into his bag, as he's always done. He took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone st- it sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and he stood over him. He's like, ah, you know, <laughs> who's big now? He didn't say that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I would have done. David was a humble person, you know, like, loser, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He, he stands over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, and he drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. David then runs through all of Israel, holding the head of his enemy. I love how bold this dude was. Can I, can I encourage you, church? Stop allowing the devil to taunt you and haunt you because of your past. If you would step out of fear and embrace faith today and realize that God actually wants to use everything that happened to you as a kid, as an adult, and use it for good, oh, I believe that some cool things would happen in this church. You can be made new in Christ today, a new creation. The Bible says, Call upon the name of the Lord, believe in him, turn to him, repent of your sin, receive grace. Everybody say grace. I love grace. If, if you are in Christ Jesus, the battle has been won. We have a victor, and his name is Jesus. The, the Bible says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What does it say? God is faithful. And when you are tempted, that God will provide a way out. I love this, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world that you may have trouble, but take heart, why? Because I have overcome the world, the world. So God holds the world in his hand, and your insecurities and your fears and doubts in the other and he says, I can handle it. I sent my son to take, it, take all of that away. So if you're here and you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, would you make that decision today? If you're far from God, this is a great place to be on a Sunday because God can radically change you and save you and he wants to use you to reach your friends and your family members for Christ. I'm gonna read this last verse and we're gonna sing a song. James 4, 7, it says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The end of this story, this is how it ends. It says, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Did you know when you speak the name of Jesus, which we're about to, that, that demons have to flee? When you speak out the name of Jesus, the enemy has to run. He has no other option but to tuck his tail and flee. And that's exactly what the enemy did. Today, nothing is different. You can speak the name of Jesus, Over circumstances, situations, pain that you're experiencing in real time. Over your marriage, over your finances, over your lost friends, over your lost co-workers. And I believe that the devil has to flee in Jesus' name. Do you all believe that this morning? We're going to sing these lyrics out. And I just pray that you would worship like God's done something up in your life. That you would sing out the name of Jesus... Like God has radically saved you from death, hell, and the grave. Amen.